Hello, I'm Merrick Schneider. Welcome to this podcast of articles from the Wall Street Journal, a presentation of Airs LA. You are listening to this recording, which is provided for the use of those who are blind or print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyrighted property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Today's first article is titled, Led Zeppelin Guitarist Wants No Noise from Star Next Door by Max Colchester. Then an article, What You Should Know About PFAS by Nidhi Subarian. Then Anne-Marie Chalker has an article, Lavish Office Perks Disappear with Corporate Belt Tightening. Then Jason DeSena Trent wrote an article, New York Smells Like a Declining City. Timothy Dolan has an article, If You Want Inclusion, I've Got a List. And we'll finish up today's session with an article, Man Bites What? No, Rye is a Dog, by Mike Kerrigan. All these articles are from recent editions of the Wall Street Journal. So let's begin with today's first article, Led Zeppelin guitarist wants no noise from star next door. Jimmy Page shot to fame in the 1960s playing ear-splitting concerts as the lead guitarist in the bad Led Zeppelin. But in the past decade, the ponytailed 79-year-old Brit has pined for the quiet life. Mr. Page has said he doesn't hold raucous house parties at his 19th century manor the tower housed in West London. Instead, he has thrown himself into restoring the frescoes and stained glass windows that adorn the interior of the historic building. This serene existence was shaken when a new neighbor arrived 10 years ago, triggering a planning war between British rock royalty that continues to reverberate today. Robbie Williams, a pop star and former member of the boy band Take That, bought the mansion next door to Mr. Page in 2013 and applied for permission to install an underground man cave complete with a swimming pool and gym. Appalled by the prospect of noisy diggers shuttering the ornate tiles and painted ceilings in his turreted Victorian period home, Mr. Page contested the plans, triggering a feud that has spanned years captivating locals in leafy Holland Park and the tabloids. Mr. Williams accused Mr. Page of camping outside his house with noise monitoring equipment. He hung a poster on one of his other properties featuring an image of himself standing next to Mr. Page with the tagline, Let Me Excavate You, a play on Mr. Williams' Let Me Entertain You. It eventually became public. Mr. Page hired a crisis communications agency and architectural advisors and repeatedly petitioning the planning committee at the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea, where the homes are. Mr. Page has also spoken out about his efforts to conserve Tower House unique interior. Created by the Victorian architect William Burgess in the 1870s and a showcase of the Gothic revival style. The house, was Mr. Page bought in 1972, outbidding fellow musician David Bowie, includes a sculpturized mantelpiece 
symbolizing the Tower of Babel. Page fans have watched the saga with bemusement. For the past five years, his main project has been protecting this house. This is now his full-time job, said Jimmy Cook, who writes the online fanzine Led Zeppelin News. In 2013, Mr. Williams bought the next-door Woodland House and sought to revamp and expand the 17.5 million pounds property. Given restrictions on adding stories, he decided to build down instead. A plan for a summer house in the garden faced complaints by neighbors it might be visually intrusive. He got planning permission, but on condition he provide the council a sample of the wood. Builders hired to remove a a shed were fined for using loud tools on a Sunday. Interviewed on a 2016 radio show, but thinking he was off air, Mr. Williams said Mr. Page is recording the workmen to see if they're making too much noise. And also, two weeks ago, the builders came in and he was asleep in his garden, waiting. Honestly, it's like a mental illness. He later apologized. Mr. Williams' advisors said that since Tower House had survived vibrations from the bombing of London in World War II, it could survive construction of a basement next door. Mr. Page called the comments tasteless. Mr. Page told the planning committee he had a duty of care to a building once owned by the poet laureate John Bejeepman. The council suggested he might find a way to muffle the vibrations. This would entail me living in my home for a year or more, surrounded by structural props and padding, Mr. Page wrote. An anonymous complaint alleged Mr. Williams blared music from Led Zeppelin rival Black Sabbath to upset Mr. Page and dressed to imitate Led Zeppelin frontman Robert Plant. I thought that story was hilarious, so I didn't mind that being out there at all, Mr. Williams told an interviewer. Alas, it is not true. In late 2018, Mr. Williams got provisional permission for his underground structure, but to dig, the workers could only use non-percussive tools. Also, Mr. Williams' air conditioning units must sit on anti-vibration mounts and be no louder than a whisper. If neighbors could smell chlorine coming from the pool, the council said, it would order him to shut down the system until it was fixed. A plan for a trellis around the garden was abandoned in January. An anonymous submission said the trellis should have soundproofing too. A plan for extensive pruning of a tree touching a lamppost was nixed. Foliage growing against street furniture does not necessitate the removal of a tree, a ruling said. Mr. Williams' lawyers in January filed to amend restrictions on the basement. Work has ceased and will not be recommended at the present time, his lawyers wrote. Mr. Williams is rumored to no longer live in Woodland House. Mr. Page, according to a person familiar with the matter, now spends less time in the Tower House, preferring the even more tranquil setting of a vast property in the countryside. Mr. Cook at Led Zeppelin News said the feud generated a lot of clicks, but now he wants it done. I got quite fatigued with it, he said. And now, what you should know about PFAS. 
In the eight decades since they were created, so-called forever chemicals have reached remote corners of the Arctic and been detected in the open ocean and the tissue of animal species as diverse as polar bears and pilot whales, also known as PFAS or per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, they can stay in the environment for years without breaking down. Nearly everyone in the United States is believed to have some level of PFAS in their blood, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Scientists are still studying the effects of human exposure to PFAS. Here's what to know. People can ingest PFAS through food or water or encounter them in consumer products. More than 2,800 locations in the United States have found PFAS in the drinking water, according to the Environmental Working Group, a nonprofit that tracks the chemicals. If people are in a place that has high contamination, then water is going to be important, said Phil Brown, an environmental sociologist at Northeastern University in Boston who has studied the chemicals. But for the average person who doesn't have high levels of contamination, food is often considered to be the most primary route. PFAS might pass the food from packaging or or produce and dairy could have PFAS from PFAS-tainted sludge used as a fertilizer, Dr. Brown said. Evidence so far suggests that ingested PFAS is absorbed from the intestine and can travel to the liver, pass into the bile, and get stored in the gallbladder, said Jamie DeWitt, an environmental toxicologist at East Carolina University. When bile enters the small intestine during digestion, the PFAS gets reabsorbed into the bloodstream. Are PFAS harmful? The United States lacks comprehensive national testing of PFAS in blood, which makes it difficult to know who is most exposed, according to Jane Hopkin, an environmental epidemiologist at North Carolina State University. The CDC's blood monitoring effort wouldn't capture contamination hotspots where people are more highly exposed, she said. That is one reason PFAS health harms are difficult to assess. Scientists have found links between PFAS and a handful of health problems, including high cholesterol, a decreased immune response to vaccines, and increased risk of kidney cancer, according to a 2022 report by the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine. Many studies have examined PFAS and occurrence of ulcerative colitis, thyroid disease, and breast and testicular cancer, suggesting a leak between the chemicals and an increased risk of each disease, said the National Academy's report. Risks to pregnancy? PFAS exposure is linked to an increased risk of high blood pressure during pregnancy, according to the National Academy's report. PFAS blood levels in mothers are also linked to low birth weight. Fetuses and infants are generally more vulnerable to harmful chemicals than adults because their brain and critical organs are rapidly developing, according to Laurel Schneider, an environmental health expert at the Silent Spring Institute in Newport, Massachusetts. 
PFAS can pass through the placenta of a pregnant woman to the growing fetus, and PFAS can be transmitted to infants through breast milk, the report said. And now the article by Anne-Marie Chalker. Lavish office perks disappear with corporate belt tightening. The ping-pong tables have turned. Companies are cutting back on prized employee perks from fancy coffee to free cab rides as they vow to trim costs and prioritize efficiency. These extras, above and beyond traditional health care and retirement plans, were meant to make workers want to join companies and stay there. They have grown to be seen by some as a form of compensation, so the cuts can sting. The cuts sometimes run alongside layoffs. Before Facebook parent Meta Platforms laid off the first 11,000 workers, it ended free laundry and dry cleaning services for employees. Twilio Incorporated, which has had two rounds of job cuts in five months, slashed its employee allowances for spending on wellness and books. Salesforce, which is cutting 10% of global staff, is also dialing back a bevy of coveted benefits. Specialty coffee baristas at the company's San Francisco tower were shown the door. The company cut ties with Trailblazer Ranch, a 75-acre wellness retreat that mixed skill training with yoga and hiking. Also gone, the extra paid day off every month Salesforce gave employees for well-being. Tech companies have long been renowned as employee-first meccas that could easily afford amenities like free meals, fitness classes, and game rooms decked out with ping-pong tables and other diversions. Recent trims to tech's workplace embellishments come as more companies acknowledge they grew too quickly during the pandemic. The moves also signal a power shift in the boss-worker dynamic, said Dan Cable, professor of organizational behavior at London Business School. Employees quickly acclimate to all the extra benefits on offer to make them feel good about their jobs, so they are mainly noticed only when they disappear, he said. When you take that away, there's a feeling of anger, even pain, Professor Cable said. Grousing aside, many people who were laid off said they would have preferred job security to freebies. I would have rather had the perk eliminated and for me to keep my job, said Michelle Rep a Sioux Falls, South Dakota product manager who t- joined Twilio last year as a remote worker. Ms. Rep said one benefit that attracted her to Twilio was its recharge program, a month-long sabbatical the company offered to certain employees. Twilio said in mid-February that it would sunset the program when Ms. Rep was laid off. Twilio said it hasn't touched benefits like medical insurance, retirement plans, and the employee stock purchase program. Free food is on the chopping block at some companies. Meta said it shifted its bus shuttle times to leave by 6 p.m. and pushed back its dinner service to later. The move discourages workers from staying just long enough to eat a free meal. To-go containers also vanished from the cafeteria. Meta spokesman said the company has adjusted on-site services and amenities to better reflect the needs of its distributed workforce. Perks such as free meals, paid birthdays off, and employee discounts 
all of which rank highly, help employees feel more rewarded, so much so that the extras might be viewed as a form of compensation, said Tony Guagnali, a senior principal at Gartner Incorporated, who studies employee perceptions of what it calls non-traditional boutique benefits. They are also an investment. There were no longer low-cost perks, he said. An offer of a 6 p.m. dinner every night adds up quickly. Less beloved perks include corporate outings for families and subscription services, such as monthly wine clubs, according to Gartner's annual survey of rewards. When office workers went remote in early 2020, life without some perks took adjustment. Google told employees in 2020 that they couldn't expense meals while working from home as a replacement for free meals offered at the office. Company spokesmen declined to comment. Some companies piled on extras to entice workers back to offices, adding bars, outdoor terraces, and other elaborate lounge areas. Goldman Sachs helped cover the cost of cabs to and from work as an alternative to public transportation. The bank now offers rides home for employees who work late into the evening. Goldman, which offered free breakfast and lunch in the aftermath of the pandemic, canceled those meals last year. In January, free coffee disappeared from the sky lobby on the 11th floor of Goldman's New York headquarters. Bank spokeswoman said free drip coffee and espresso drinks are still offered on each floor. The traditional calculus, employment benefit experts said, has been that perks cost employers relatively little but help them buy the loyalty of their masses. Extras like snacks and an on-site gym entice many workers to stay at the office for longer. Tech companies took perks to another level, introducing a culture more than a decade ago that bridged a grown-up world with a college fraternity vibe. Pets came to work, hoodies replaced suits, and colleagues blew off steam in music rooms and game areas. James Arnold, a meta recruiter who got laid off in November, said he and most of his team work remotely, so on-campus benefits didn't filter down to them. In following weeks, several other companies have rolled back remote work options, including financial services company USAA and Walt Disney Company. I guess my favorite perk was working remotely, said the 40-year-old, who lives on Oahu, Hawaii. And now, New York smells like a declining city. I came to Manhattan in 1990 because I was young and ambitious. To my good fortune, a humming economy and effective policing techniques based on the broken windows theory made it relatively easy for me to start a family and a business here. Today, however, it feels as if the conditions that made New York a destination for businesses and families in the 1990s are no more. There may be no greater symbol of decay than the ubiquitous stench of marijuana. I smell it when I leave my apartment building at 6.45 a.m. and when I come home at night. As the health of public finance declines in societies, so does private virtue. This is often because enterprising politicians find it easier to use vice as a source of public funding instead of making sober fiscal choices. 
While Mayor Eric Adams says many of the right things about getting the city back on its feet, he has been an ardent supporter of the city's burgeoning marijuana industry. His launch of Cannabis New York City, designed to grant licenses for state-sponsored dispensaries to those who were previously justice-involved, or as you and I might say, incarcerated, is a mistake. This might raise revenue for New York, but it completely ignores the significant harm a Schedule One drug can have on the physical and mental health of citizens. In a country where more than 100,000 people died of drug overdoses in 2022, can anyone say with a straight face that politicians should be promoting the use of an intoxicant? Given that New York City's economy depends on 4 million commuters and remote work is increasingly feasible, ignoring quality of life issues could cause economic disaster by driving people out of the city. That would be unfortunate for a town that prides itself on becoming the center of global finance. It's a tragedy that some politicians believe the only way they can save their cities is by encouraging behavior that is antithetical to family and capital formation. Affluent cities rarely court businesses that encourage antisocial behavior. Leaders of these cities know that bad businesses drive out good ones, especially when technology has made it so easy to relocate. And now the article by Timothy Dolan. If you want inclusion, I've got a list. Cardinal Dolan is the Roman Catholic Archbishop of New York. I am proud that my country and my church are both committed to the noble idea of inclusion. Everyone should feel loved and respected. All people must share in all rights. We couldn't dare claim to be one nation under God if it were otherwise. Yet society and the church are falling short of this noble ideal. By accepting one dominant cultural narrative that presumes to define those who are excluded, we are ignoring those who don't tidally fit into the prevailing cultural storyline. Want some examples? Mom and dads in lifelong, life-giving marriage, cherishing a large number of children who are routinely ridiculed and regularly stereotyped as threatening to the planet. Fragile unborn babies who have no legal protection in most states, with all of us forced to pay for the taking of their lives. Parents, especially struggling ones, who must pay constantly increasing taxes to support monopoly government schools and who are denied the right to use tax dollars to send their children to the schools of their choice. Citizens who, for ethical reasons, can't obey the tidal wave of bureaucratic decrees on health care and are forced to choose between their consciences and their jobs. A gay person trying his best, with God's grace, to live according to biblical teaching, who as church leaders call that morality unjust and oppressive. Immigrants who came to this country eager to work in the belief that America was a sanctuary but who can't get a labor permit and are treated with scorn. A woman who chooses to give birth to a baby while worried by hints and even outright threats that she'll lose her job. Young people who are spiritually thirsty for a sense of awe, reverence, and transcendence but who have difficulty finding a church to satisfy their needs. 
relief agencies labeled as lawbreakers by members of Congress for welcoming, feeding, and housing refugees. Our beloved elders near the end of life who are coaxed into feeling useless, a burden, with euthanasia the answer. Folks who only want inspiration, encouragement, and clear teaching from their pastors and religious leaders, but who must instead listen to dissent every Sabbath. Cops who face danger daily, who see their colleagues killed and wounded, their resources shrinking, and the criminals they apprehend released in an hour. Elderly people who are scared to take the bus or subway or to walk down the block for milk and bread. Parents who work two jobs and save for decades to send their children to college and struggle to pay back the loans they had to take only to see their neighbors with weekend homes have their loans forgiven. These good people tell us they are also marginalized and excluded. Rarely do I find them bitter, angry, or judgmental. They, too, want a society that is inclusive, not merely for the groups now chic to defend, but for all. And Mike Kerrigan, man bites what? No, Rye is a dog. Greg and Rye are my friends. Devin, my wife, knows this. Yet Rye is also the name of Greg's golden doodle, which slipped Devin's mind in a recent telephone conversation with entertaining consequences. I exercise regularly on Saturday mornings with a group of friends. After the pre-dawn workout at the park, we dawdle over coffee at our favorite hangout nearby. On this particular Saturday, I brought my 11-year-old son, Jack. Greg had missed that morning's workout, but he brought his beloved pooch, an infrequent visitor, to coffee. Jack, being what football coaches across America call a high-motor guy, immediately got into Rye's grill and startled the dog, who in turn nipped my son. Nothing serious, but it was enough to justify a change of scenery if only to attend to the smallish cut on his hand. I called Devin on the way home. The confused conversation that followed fell somewhere between Shakespeare's Twelfth Night and a vintage Three's Company episode. We're on our way home, I reported. Jack got a little too close to Rye at coffee, so Rye bit him. The pause was brief. He did what? Devin asked incredulously. Rye bit Jack, I confirmed. Nothing major, just a little nick on the hand. I'll be home in a minute and you can see for yourself. But do me a favor. Call Greg and tell him everything's fine. He saw the whole thing and was pretty upset when I left. I should say so, Devin replied, her voice dripping with disbelief. This was when I realized she was mistaking the canine for the human, and so I clarified. I still laugh at the thought of her momentarily thinking my friend Rye bit our son, a a development that greatly troubled my other friend Greg, but somehow not me. In the reportage of the event, the five W's of journalism, who, what, where, when, and why, were clearly insufficient without a sixth one. Which species? Someday Rye, the golden doodle, will chase his final tennis ball. When that sad day comes, if I am called to a ceremony in Greg's backyard 
to eulogize my fine furry friend, I'll be ready with a good story. That brings us to the end of today's articles. I'm Merrick Schneider, and I'll be back soon with more articles. Thank you for listening.